Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the wall. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. Trust you're all doing very well. In spite of what you may feel or think this morning, God cares about you. It is true. His spirit is near you now, even in you, if you have received him and his word is in your mouth. So rise and shine. I want to read it to you out of the Amplified. I'm giving you a word from the Lord. This is not my own word. I guarantee it. But here's what the Lord says. Arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Let me say it again to those of you who are just joining me this morning. In spite of what you may feel or think, in spite of it, what you may feel or think. How many of you know we are not to trust our feelings 
or our emotions. Don't trust them. They can get a little flighty sometimes. All right. So in spite of what you may feel or think, God cares about you. He wanted me to tell you that this morning. He wanted me to tell you and to assure you he cares about you. And we're going to get into the reasons why in just a little bit. So in spite of what you're thinking, in spite of what you're feeling, God cares about you. It is true. He told me to tell you that. It is true. His spirit is near you. God's Holy Spirit is near you, even in you, if you have received him. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Have you received God's gift? Have you received the Holy Spirit? That's in the book of Acts where Paul was saying, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't even heard if there was anything called a Holy Spirit. But they believed in Jesus, all right? They believed in the preaching of John, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is saying that his Spirit is near you, all right? The kingdom of heaven is near you. The Spirit of God is near you. The kingdom, it's what Jesus said. Okay, and shall be in you, all right? The Holy Spirit brings the kingdom of God. So even in you, if you have received him and his word is in your mouth, the word of God is in your mouth. And if it's not in yours, it's in mine. And he's wanting to tell you something, all right? So rise, and I love this. This is the amplified version of Isaiah chapter 60, verse one. Arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you, hallelujah, rise to a new life, shine, be radiant with the glory of the Lord. Oh, come on, Jesus, he cares about you. I don't know who you are out there today. I don't know what your emotions, what your feelings, what your thoughts are saying to you. I don't know what circumstances you are in, but again, arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. So there are circumstances in your life that have kept you down. There are things going on in your life that are depressing you. Okay, There are things going on in your life right now that are causing you to be prostrate. You're laid out. But the Lord says in the prophetic third day, I want you to stand before me so that my favor can be given to you. And what God is saying in wisdom right now, Queen Esther, is get off your face. Amen? He's saying it to you, beloved brother and sister in the Lord. Get off your face. Get out of this condition of prostration. Rise and stand upon your feet. Amen? And rise from the circumstances, the depression, the prostration that circumstances have produced in your life. Get up. God's about to do great things. God is about to do great things in your life. Why? Because he cares about you. God cares about you. And he will exhaust himself to get you to get it, right? That's what he wants you and I to get. He cares about you. He cares about you. I want to go through some scripture today. I've been thinking a lot about some things, saints. You know, we always get on here and we have an end time message, right? And get ready message. Well, I want to give you one of the greatest end time messages ever recorded in scripture. And I think we could find some solace in this. And we could really look into these verses 
And I want to go to John chapter 13, which I think is very illuminating. Uh, John chapter 13 is very illuminating because we're 28 days away from the Feast of Passover right now. And I have been doing my study every day in the book of John recently. I've read it probably 50, 60, 70 times, maybe more in the last 39 years of my born-again journey as being a Christian man. I don't know how many times I've read the Gospel of John, but I could assure you my journey began in the Gospel of John. The first time I ever picked up a Bible 39 years ago, it was in the Gospel of John. And uh, there's such a revelation, there's such a spiritual uh, profoundness to the Gospel of John. And so I've been reading it again lately, the last, you know, several weeks. I've been, this is my study time. And today I came to John 13 and and, uh, the Holy Spirit began to kind of uh, dialogue with me at that very deep level. You know, that deep, you know, where deep is crying out to deep. What do you think about this? What about these verses? And I want to share them with you. I believe they're for you. And they're for us, and I want us to talk. You follow this ministry, you've been tuned in for a little bit. Uh, Well, it's time for us to talk, okay? Not me get preachy and preach at you, and you go, ooh, that was a bad message, that was a good message, or whatever. No, we need to communicate right now. Communication. (laughs) And so listen to what this says. This is powerful. In John chapter 13, verse 1, now before the Feast of the Passover. So the feast is on the way. Okay. There are already, if you read in John chapter 12, people were already coming in. The Pharisees were battling it out. They want to kill Jesus. I mean, on and on and on. There's the Pharisee spirit, the scribes, the religious people always want to kill Jesus. They want to bring Jesus before the Romans, the empire of the world and have him crucified. That spirit has never changed. It's here today. The legalists, the Pharisees, the professing Christians, you know, they want to kill what is righteous. They always do. That's their, that's their MO, man. That's their modus operandi. That's how that spirit works. It's a sad truth, but it is a truth. And it's not going to go away until Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom upon this earth. So now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should out of this world Unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Is that profound or what? Jesus had come to a time of knowing that it was time for him to leave the earth. He had accomplished his ministry, and he was about to accomplish it with his crowning achievement of the cross. Oh, my God. You know, kings wear crowns. Jesus took on a cross. Isn't that amazing? Kings wear crowns, Jesus took upon himself the cross. His crowning achievement in this world was the cross. The, the, the crowning achievement of kings and people, you know, they get their placards on the wall, they get their, uh, their, their high position, and Jesus, his crowning achievement was the cross. And he knew that the time had come when he knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world. It was time for Jesus to go. He lived to be about 33 years. We don't know his exact age, but we've been taught and we've been told about 33 years of age. And it's a young age to have to leave the world. 33 is a young age. We believe 
that he began his ministry at the age of 30, that for the first 30 years of his life, he'd been trained up and prepared. And then at the age of 30, like King David began his ministry at 30, Joseph began his ministry at 30. So there's, there's a biblical pattern, about 30 being a mature age to begin a ministry. And so Jesus, now at the age of about 33, 33 and a half, some people say, he was in the world for three and a half years during his ministry. He ministered for the first three and a half years, however you want to put it. Well, he knew, Jesus knew a lot, didn't he? He knew in himself many things, and he knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. At least Jesus knew where he was going. Are you sure about where you're going today? Do you have an assurance? Do you have a tranquility? (laughs) Do you have a tranquility of a blessed assurance? Are you tranquil in your soul? Are you tranquil in your mind? Are you tranquil about this question? When it's time for you to leave the earth, when it's time for you to leave this world, do you know where you're going? Jesus knew his hour had come. It was time for him to leave. And he knew he was going to the Father having loved his own which were in the world. You see, Jesus' accomplishment was to love those that God had given him to the very end. Okay, His crowning achievement was the cross in this world. The cross was his achievement, his crowning achievement. Okay, So he loved his own which were in the world. He loved them unto the end. And there are people that God has brought into your life for you to love unto the end of your life. There are people that you are called to love unto the end and lay your life down for them unto the end, right? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He loved them unto the end and supper being ended. So he's having supper with his disciples. Got to get the scene in Jerusalem, Israel, in an upper room. There was the Lord. Passover is on the way. It's hours away now. Passover is hours away in this setting. And Jesus knows it's time to go. Now, supper being ended, the devil, oh, the Diablo, he's always around, isn't he? The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot. So the devil had put something into Judas's heart to betray him. Okay, so Passover is about Jesus spending his last moments on earth with the disciples that he loved. He did not have a wife. He did not have children, contrary to what they want to say about him marrying, you know, Mary Magdalene and all that bourgeois. Okay, whatever that is. That's not what the scriptures tell us. We don't need to go and speculate at this point. What we do know is that he was spending that that last night, those last hours upon this earth with the ones that he loved. He loved his disciples. God had given those men to him particularly. They were chosen out of the world at that time by God. Jesus was given to them, and they were given to Jesus, and Jesus loved them unto the very end. But one of them, Judas Iscariot, was going to betray him. It wasn't going to come from the Roman Empire. It wasn't going to come from without. It was going to come from within. And so the devil has now put into Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So it's all ready to go. 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, Jesus knew Father God had given him everything, and that he was come from God. Jesus knew that he had come from God. He was aware of himself. He was aware of who he was. Even though he was born out of the virgin womb of Mary, at the age of 33 and a half, Jesus knew. Okay, the ministry of miracles, the, the spirit of God being in him, the glory of God, the wisdom of God, the intelligence of God that he had with him all of his life, those 33 and a half years, he knew, he knew that he was about to be betrayed. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. He knew that he was come from God, and he knew he was going to God. He knew this. Okay, This is all happening hours from Passover, where they would be slaughtering the lambs, and that the true lamb of God was about to be slaughtered as well. He knew all was going on. So in that moment of knowing, it says, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments. Okay? They had the meal. They had supper. And now he's laying aside his garments. He took a towel and he girded himself. After that, he pours water into a basin. So you could see the Lord getting up from supper. He's getting himself a towel. He's laying aside his garments. Okay, he's pouring water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, his disciples were there, even Judas Iscariot. His disciples were there. Jesus knew what time it was. He understood that it was time. Now, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. The feet really do represent the lowest part of our humanity. I mean, the feet is where you walk in the dust of the earth, right? The feet. It's not the most profound part of a person's body. Okay? It's the lowest part of our existence. That's what the feet represent. Now, what is Jesus doing? Jesus, the Messiah, the Master, the Lord, is now bowing down to the feet of his disciples, the feet of man. He's washing. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. This is unusual. This is powerful. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. Simon Peter was the most uh, up-and-down guy you'll ever meet in your life. He was what you would call a, what, an extremist. Peter was definitely an extremist. He was either extremely high or he was extremely low. For example, then comes he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, Dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but you shall know hereafter. Peter said unto him, You shall never wash my feet. No, I'm not worthy of you washing my feet. No, you're better than that, Lord. You're better than that. And Jesus answered him, If I wash you not, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Here's the extremism. No, you never will wash my feet to wash every part of me from my head to my toes. And Jesus said to him, 
He that is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. So Jesus is dealing with Peter, and he was doing fine with the others, but there's always one, right? And there's Peter, you're not going to wash my feet. Well, if I don't, you have nothing to do with me. Okay, wash my whole body. You don't need me to wash your whole body. Just sit down, let me wash your feet. And by me washing your feet, you're clean. But then Jesus says, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you are not all clean. All right. What a, what a moment in the life of Jesus, the end of his life. He's coming to the very end. He loved his disciples to the end. He's now beginning to give forth the extreme humiliation, the humility that was required and is necessary. And he's now washing the feet of his disciples. It was not something that a king would ever do to a servant. It is totally opposite of what a king would act like. And so the washing of their feet was an extreme turning of their mind about how things work. And then Jesus says this in verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, do you know what I have done to you? Do you know what just happened to you? I, your king, right? Listen to how he says it. He says, you call me master and Lord. That's what we call Jesus, master and Lord, right? And the disciples, this is very intimate. This isn't to all the people of Jerusalem that day, okay? This isn't to the 72. This is the 12. This is the inner core. This, these are the ones he, he had chosen, specifically God had chosen for him. These are the ones that God gave him out of the world, every one of them. And he said, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. I really am your master and your Lord, said Jesus. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, if I, have washed your feet. That would be like Jesus coming and washing your feet or my feet today. And we'd be saying, what? What are you doing? Lord, we're supposed to be serving you and washing your feet and taking on the hair of our head and taking ointment all over your feet. You don't do this to us. You're the king. You're the master. But Jesus had a point. Listen to it very carefully. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, I'm about to leave the world, and I want you to see the care you know, that's why the Lord said, tell them I care about them today. He's about to leave the world. He's about to go to his crowning achievement, the cross. And you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's sweating droplets of blood. The pressure is so intense. He's spending his last moments with his disciples, his loved ones, his chosen ones, even though they frustrated the daylights out of him at times. He's, span, he's spending his last moments on earth with them. 
And he's doing something that had never been done before. It's so controversial. It's so upside down. It's so inside out. It doesn't make any sense. And he's saying, what I've just done to you, gentlemen, is what I'm going to ask you to do to one another. I'm going to ask you, each one of you, to humble yourselves and to show care and love and concern for one another. The leadership, the leadership of the body of Christ. These were going to be the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, which, by the way, was near extinction. We're going to talk about that, too, in just a moment. But he's asking these leaders within the body of Christ to condescend from high thrones, to get off their high horses of who's who in the kingdom of heaven. And he's asking them to get low and to each one of them show love by washing their feet, going to the lowest part of a servant, which is true biblical ministry. Okay? Not being like slaves and, you know, masters and you're my slave and you do what I say. No, this is a total contrary thing. But notice he's asking them to do it towards one another. Making the other greater than themselves. Making others better than themselves. Treating others like they are royalty. I'm washing your feet. And yet they were called to do it to one another. And this is what Jesus is asking as an example, that you shall do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, verse 16, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. So he's looking at them. You're the servants. I'm your Lord. The servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent, I'm sending you, said Jesus to them, greater than he that sent him. And if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. In other words, what I'm doing to you right now, Jesus said, washing your feet, I'm your Lord and your master. You're a servant. So in other words, when I leave this earth, when I'm gone, which is going to happen in a few hours, this is what the Lord was saying, when I leave this earth and I'm committing things into your hands, you're going to be the ones I'm trusting the Lord in all this, Jesus is saying, right? I'm trusting God in this whole plan because it's about to come into extinction. This whole thing that I've been working for three and a half years is going to come under such severe trial that if there's something not done, it's going to fail. This whole work could fail. My three and a half years of being a superhero on planet Earth, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, and doing everything I've done, and, and bringing a message to all these people in Israel, in the middle of the earth, 2,000 years ago, it is going to come under such a severe trial, it could be wiped out in months. There'll never be another mention of my name. There'll be no such thing called a church. Nothing is going to exist. I'm about to bring this thing under a scrutiny. And the demonic powers of darkness are going to do everything in their power to wipe this thing out off the face of the earth. But I'm I'm, I'm ready to leave now, and I'm leaving you an example. I'm telling you something, and here's what I'm telling you, leaders of the body of Christ. If I, your Lord and Master, have served you, don't you ever think in your mind you're greater than me, your Lord. 
If I humbled myself as a king and as a master and a lord, don't you ever rise up and think that you're better than me. I'm the one that's sending you. The one that is sent is not greater than the one that sent him. I'm sending you, but I'm showing you in this last act upon this earth that it's not about you being elevated, puffed up, higher than anybody. It's about you condescending, washing the feet of disciples. You see, this was an amazing lesson. As we approach Passover in just a couple of weeks now, as we approach Passover, these, these thoughts are, are very sobering, that there's a Judas experience, there's betrayal. A lot is going to happen here. The disciple Peter is going to deny Jesus. The, other are going to, the others are going to flee away from him. They're going to be hiding out in their homes, wondering if the Romans are going to kill them too. The entire work of Christ was about to be tested. But there's one thing that had to happen in order to keep it all going. You know what it was? Jesus Christ resurrected from death. If Jesus had not resurrected from death and revealed himself to these disciples, they were already terrified. They were already in hiding. If Jesus had not revealed himself to Mary and Martha, the women at the tomb, if Jesus had not revealed himself, if Jesus had not resurrected, if Jesus had not shown up when doubting Thomas was saying, lest I see him and stick my hand into his side, I will not believe. They were already ready to lose it all. The Christian church, the disciples of Christ, they were about to lose it all. Because if those 12 failed, everything would have failed. So Jesus is resurrected from death. And he is revealing himself to them and saying, stick your hand in my side. Right? Peter is coming back. Jesus is appearing to the 12 on the, on the seashore, having fish with them. He's, he's revealing the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the one thing that kept everything together. And they saw it. And if they had not seen it, I tell you, within months, the name of Jesus would have been eradicated from the lips of the whole world. He'd have never been mentioned again. They would have so desperately, absolutely squashed everything about Jesus if they could just get to those 12. But Jesus was going to do something. Jesus was going to show himself to them one-on-one in the resurrection. And then he was going to stay on earth for another 40 days and 40 nights, speaking to them of things concerning the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 1, hallelujah. The devil... The world, the unbelieving Jews, all these mega forces were about to destroy the work of Christ. It was going to be concentrated on the leadership. It was going to be concentrated on the leaders of the body of Christ. 
Today we have leadership that is divided, scattered, schizophrenic, double-minded, backbiting, who's who. I believe the time is coming again that God is going to raise a selected leadership of humble servants who are not going to rise above the feet of the body of Christ. I, now, I'm getting way, way, way ahead of myself. I want to go back to that last night, Passover, right before the Passover. And I want to pick this up in verse 17. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. In other words, listen, guys, he's talking to his disciples. Listen, I just gave you an example of what leadership is all about. I told you what, what it is to love one another. It's getting lower than the other person and ministering to them and treating them like a king. But each one of you will do this to one another. And this is the way I want my leadership to go. If you do this, if you, if you always remember that you're the servant, you'll never be greater than who I am. You're the sent one, you'll never be greater than who I am who sent you. If you always remember that, And keep in mind what I just did for you. I humbled myself. I took my garments aside. I took a basin of water. I took a towel. I got down on my knees and I ministered to you. If you'll always remember this, you're going to be happy. That you'll never elevate yourself. You'll never see yourself as better than anybody else. You will know the ministry that I've called you to. In all you're doing, in all your success, when when, when success hits your life, when you have big congregations, and you're, you're prospering in the Lord, and you're just always remember your attitude has got to be way down here. You're nothing. And the only thing that you're, is causing success in your life is because people love me. They love Jesus. And you're, you're ministering me and not yourself. You're not elevating yourself. You're elevating Jesus. You're lifting up Jesus. You're honoring Jesus. You're ministering to Jesus. And if it brings death into your life, then so be it. That's where you're at. Okay? And then he says in verse 18, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it has come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receives whomsoever I send receives me, and he that receives me receives him that sent me. So Jesus is basically just saying, again, I know whom I've chosen. I know what's going to happen. When it happens, I'm telling you beforehand, so you'll know. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. And then... Uh, he tells him this very awesome thing here after, you know, prophecy being fulfilled. He who eats bread with me is going to raise up his heel against me, this betrayal. But he says then, now I tell you before it come that when it comes, it shall be, you may believe. Verily, I say unto you, he that receives whomsoever I send receives me. And he that receives me receives him that sent me. Notice the order of things. Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm sending you, guys. I'm leaving the earth, but I'm sending you to do a work. And whoever receives you as you go receives me. And whoever receives me receives my Father. 
Oh, it always goes back to the Father. So Jesus is talking about his authorizing the sending of the disciples, and he gave them an example of how to live as leadership in the body of Christ. He's giving them the example of how they're going to conduct themselves among the body of Christ, not in an overlording spirit, but in a very humble spirit. That's why Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, we are not lords over God's heritage, over God's people. So leadership is in, you know, in mind around Passover because we're getting ready to enter into some pretty profound things and there has to be a godly leadership ordained by Christ, having the signature of God upon their lives. The mark of Christ must be upon the minister of the Lord. Okay? Verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit. You ever thought about Jesus being troubled in spirit? Can he ever been troubled? And he testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. He's troubled. Was he troubled by the person that was going to betray him? Or was he more troubled about that person's betrayal was going to bring him to his crowning achievement, the cross? And he knew what awaited him. He knew what awaited him. The moments ahead for Jesus were not comforting moments. The moments that lie ahead of him was he was being arrested and he was going to be crucified. And the weight of the sin of the whole world was going to visit him. He was a lamb prepared for slaughter. He knew it. He knew that the hours ahead, betrayal was going to come. And it went even deeper. It went even deeper. Listen to this. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he had spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, that's John. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him and that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. And he then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? Who's going to betray you? And Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that you do, do quickly. So now Satan has entered into Simon. Jesus looks at Simon and says, what you got to do, do it quickly. Now, no man at the table knew for what intent he spoke this unto him. So Jesus said something, and he was speaking way beyond Simon. He was speaking to the devil that went into him. You do what you got to do now. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. It's amazing how people have opinions about what's going on. Oh, you know, he's telling Simon to go give some money to the poor or go get something for the feast, for dinner, for, for the Pesach, Passover, the Passover meal, not just the supper. He's, you know, get, get some things. People have opinions all the time, don't they? Therefore... When he was gone out, Jesus said, 
Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Jesus knows what's coming. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. So a lot of glory coming. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. It was a very little while at this point. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, okay, well, you can't go with me right now, but I'm going to give you something. I'm going to leave something behind for you. Leadership. Leadership in the body of Christ. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Three and a half years, they were kept in the love of Christ. He loved them unto the end. And he's now saying to them, I'm giving you a commandment. I'm giving you an instruction, Torah. I'm giving you prescription. I'm giving you something, a new commandment among yourselves. Here it is, that you love one another exactly the way that I loved you. That you love one another by this, by your love for one another in leadership in the body of Christ. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Here's the extremism of Peter again. Not just my feet, but my head and my hands. You'll never wash my feet, right? Now he's saying, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Lord, let me go. I'll lay my life down for you. This is very interesting because of what happens in the garden. When Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me three times. Wow. Do you remember what happened in the garden? Peter took out his sword. He smote off the ear. I mean, he was ready to lay his life down, right? His physical life. There was something in him that, Lord, I'm with you. Now, he may have been thinking at that moment when Jesus said, you're going to betray me three times, like, that nah, ain't going to happen. But sometimes we don't know ourselves, do we? Jesus saw, he foresaw his betrayal, his arrest, and before his death, before the cock would crow, he would literally deny him. He saw him denying him three times. And it, it happened exactly. But before that, Peter's thinking, I'm going to lay my life down for you. He's in the garden. They came to arrest him, and he's taking people's head, ears off, right, with the sword. But Jesus is telling him, put up your sword. This has to be fulfilled. I've, this has got to happen. So back off. So Peter had the willingness to do what he said he was going to do. But what he didn't know was the depths of his heart. Because now he saw the arrest. They saw him punch him, beat him. They saw, he saw a lot of what was going on, and now he's by that fire, and people are going, hey, aren't you one of those guys that were with him? And I never knew him. 
And three times he denies he even knew him. And then that cock crew, the day was coming. And Peter must have just flipped out because he turned and the Bible says he looked right at Jesus. And it, it just devastated him. It devastated him. Judas, in the meantime, is hanging himself. He's trying to throw the money back. He comes to a revelation. I did the wrong thing. He's throwing the 30 pieces of silver. They're saying, hey, man, we'll keep the silver and we'll buy a potter's field with it. But Judas can't handle the pressure. The demon that was driving him is now hanging him from a tree. His bowels are gushing out everywhere. He comes to his end. Jesus. And in all of this that's going on in the last moments of his life, Chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. (laughs) Or actually, it's singular, let not your heart be troubled. Was he talking to Peter? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. We could preach on that for the rest of our lives. The tranquil state of a heart that is assured of its salvation through Christ. Wow. Let me give you the whole definition. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God, and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that it is. That's the biblical definition for be found of him in peace. And when Jesus is saying, let not your heart be troubled, he's saying the same thing. Be at peace within yourself. Let your heart become tranquil, fearing nothing from God. God's not going to do anything against you. He's saying this to his disciples. The devil's going to attack. The devil's going to persecute. The great tribulation isn't about God afflicting you. It's about the devil's wrath and anger against the body of Christ in the last days. So let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And then the famous line, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me, period. I want to talk with you for just a moment. You're listening to this radio broadcast. You've been following the ministry. You're part of the ministry. I was thinking about how the Apostle Paul, in another letter, it was in Philippians, I was reading it, how the Apostle Paul was sending people to the different churches, and he was sending people to Philippi, and he, he had all the Brother Timothy and Sosthenes, and, you know, Paul was starting churches all over the world of his day as he knew it and understood it, and then he was always having this concern. He always had this care how the churches are doing. I want to know how they're doing, and so imagine your church right now, and uh, Apostle Paul is sending Timothy to your church right now, and the purpose of the visitation is, how are you guys doing? Are you shining as lights in your community? 
are you are you being salt and light? Are you impacting your region? Are you touching the community? Are you winning souls? Are you laboring properly? You know the letters to the seven churches in in, in the book of Revelation. How are you guys doing? And and this was the constant concern. And I wonder who is concerned about you in your ministry, in your life, in your church today. Who is concerned about how you're doing? Are you doing it right? Are you are you manifesting forth the right? you know, presentation of the kingdom of God and the body of Christ and the gospel. You know, how is your conduct? How are you? Are you really living the life? Or, or do you go to church twice a week and then disappear and do what you want to do and get lost in the crowd of the day? It wasn't like that at the beginning. It just wasn't like that. There was an order to things. There was an order to things. Do you think God cares about the church today? Who are the people that are checking out the state of things? You have a church, you're a pastor. Who's checking you out? Who's checking me out? Where, where's the authority in the last days to check us out, to make sure we're doing all right? Where is that apostolic anointing? Who's telling the pastor or the overseer in your church, in your region, in your community, the several churches that are growing up there, who's telling them if they're doing it right or not? Who's overseeing? Who has the mantle of overseer? Who has the apostolic anointing in their lives so that the church can grow in the right direction? Where is that? You know, this is something that it keeps me up at night. It's one of the concerns that I have when I'm not just busy going about doing things. It's one of the things that I really reflect on and I want to know. Because I want to know that we're doing it right. I want to know that there's order in the house of God, in the church of God, a divine order. All churches should have some oversight, some insight. Don't you think? So I question these things. We open our doors oftentimes and bring people in and, you know, we raise up pastors at New Wine Ministries and we we do our best to get people prepared for the ministry of going forth. And we have a vision for home churches. We don't believe that it's time to build a big mega church on the corner anymore. We believe in the direction of this generation that the glory of God will be in houses But is there a divine order? Is there apostolic order going forth in what's happening in churches today? Some denominations, some denominational structures actually have an order where they send bishops or they send evangelists. They send preachers, you know, to their churches. There's some order to it. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not good because sometimes denominationalism has a tendency to have tunnel vision into the Bible and that's it. They can't see beyond. And if you don't say what we say, then you're not a part of it and there's no room for growth. That could be dangerous in a body of believers. So I'm concerned about this. Again, we believe, I believe, that God has revealed by his spirit that the end-time church people are going to gather in homes, maybe in caves and in open fields, 
but it's not going to be church as usual. It's not going to be the 501c3 on the corner and everybody comes and we have an organization. You know, it's not that. It's people, the organic body of Christ gathering together in a region, having access to the fivefold ministry of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, instructing, infilling, watching over. But it has to be led by God. It has to be authorized by God, because if it's not authorized by God, it's going to come under satanic attack and it's going to fail big time. You know that, and I know that. The day of men taking it upon themselves to go and do an idea, you're going to get hurt so bad. There has to be God-ordained authority. We can't just read the Bible and say, oh, that's what they did, so I'm going to go do it. There has to be a sending of the Spirit with the signature of God upon the minister that God is raising up to send. There has to be. And what is that signature? Paul said, I bear the marks of Christ. I've paid the price. I've been ordained. I've been chosen, selected, raised up, authorized, anointed, and appointed, and assigned to go and do this work. And to do it prematurely could be devastating to a ministry, to lives. You could see that in examples of Jim Jones down in South America. You could see that in, in different groups of people in Heaven's Gate down in Texas. You could see people gathering together and getting slaughtered because it was never really ordained by God. It was a man with charisma it was a movement that had an idea, biblical backing for the idea, but it wasn't God-ordained. So how do you know? How do you find this care, this love? How do you find it? Where do you find a plurality of elders in a region that labor shoulder to shoulder? It's critical, isn't it? I think it's critical. Why? Because God cares about people. And if God signatures a moment and raises up in the anointing with his approval because the character has been refined enough to stand in the trial, has your life been nothing but trials? Well, maybe it's because God's seen if you're ready to actually become a part of what he's doing in the last days, which I believe is a resurgence of the apostolic and prophetic anointings to the body of Christ, because it's necessary. I believe that God wants people, people to gather together. And I personally believe in house churches. And as they gather, there's an anointing, a gifting, of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, sharing, imparting, depositing, stewarding the anointing, stewarding the word of God properly to grow people up into Christ. See, I believe that. And I believe we're getting closer and closer to the time God is going to call his people out of denominations and buildings and the way things have always been in church, 
And I believe he's going to bring people into these other places. No big names, no television studios, no stages, no limelight, none of that. All that is going to go away. And the only ministry of Christ on this earth will be outside the system, in people's homes. The glory of God will rest upon those homes, and God will set a defense around the glory. Now, why do I believe this? You may be tuning into the first time. Why do you believe this, Pastor Vincent? Well, 29 years ago, I'm not a visionary in the sense of having visions and dreams. If they come, they're amazing. 29 years ago, young, young, green behind the ears, tender as could be, brand new into ministry. 29 years ago, I was taken up in a vision into outer space, right up. And now I'm kind of suspended in space and as black as black could be. And then I started seeing the stars and the planets. And as I'm now getting my bearing, I look down and I could see planet Earth. And I begin to descend. And as I'm descending, I'm going definitely towards the Earth. And as I see the Earth, I could see the continents lined up. And then I'm coming down and I could see the North American continent. I see the United States. I see the tail of Florida. And I'm descending. And I'm descending. Well, as I'm descending... I'm looking at the earth and it's dark. There's a little light on here and a little light there and a little light there spread out across the land. Little lights, few and far between. And I get closer and closer and I finally land what I believe to be somewhere around Boston. Okay. And I land and the atmosphere was charcoal gray. It was as though, if I could describe it today, Russia had taken over the United States. That's how the feeling was. I remember landing, and then I heard someone walking through the streets. It was around midnight, very dark, and I could hear the echo in steps as they're walking, and their steps are echoing. And in the spirit, I followed this person, and it went to a house where a light was on knocked on the door of that house, terrified. I saw in this vision a man answer the door. His body filled the doorframe. He had eyes like x-ray vision, and he immediately was looking at the man that was at the door, and he's reading him. I mean, he's getting a download on this guy. And this guy on the outside is terrified. He wants to come into the house. He's afraid. The man that's reading him, the man of God that answered the door, is just viewing into his heart and saying, nope, this guy's played games with God. He's not sincere. He's in the flesh. He just wants rest for his flesh. He's afraid. He's terrified. And then, at that moment, while that was all going on, I went in, the spirit, into the living room of that house. And in the living room of that house, I saw seven or eight people One person was stretched out on a couch. There was a golden flask of oil with the lid off, and the scent of it filled the room, and there was music. So beautiful. The sound of that music, the the odor of that oil. There was healing going on with that person on the couch. The glory of God was in that living room. 
seven or eight people. The man of God knew if I let this man into this environment, he will quench the spirit and grieve it and will break what's going on. And the man of God would not allow that man in the flesh to come into his home. And he shut the door. And in the vision, I saw that man go to another house. He kept trying to get in. And then that vision ended. I didn't understand that 29 years ago. Today, in the talk of electromagnetic pulses, cronial mass ejections, software data being interrupted, and the lights going out is a very real conversation. I didn't know. But in my vision 29 years ago, coming down, seeing the earth and seeing the United States dark with little lights on, I understand today that those lighthouses, spiritual lighthouses of God's glory, it's going to be dark, whether it's naturally dark or spiritually dark, it's going to be dark. But these little lights in these little light churches, seven or eight people, 12 or 15 people, 40 or 50 people, I don't know what each house will represent. Each Goshen will represent. I know there was light in Goshen. There was darkness in Egypt. God showed me this. Part of my ministry that began 28 and some odd years, a month ago, 28 years and some months ago, the first thing that happened in the 1990s is Patricia and I were in an RV and we were traveling and we were starting churches and they were all in homes. We started churches, a home church in Jersey City, New Jersey, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Virginia Beach, Virginia. We were working in Alabama. We were in Jacksonville, Florida. We had our church going in San Diego. And everywhere we went, people started opening their doors. And we, before you know it, had home fellowships. And the people that had been raised up, in the ministry, most of them deacons that were in the ministry in San Diego, I sent them to these house churches that just grew up around us. Patricia had a deliverance ministry. Most of the time, people were just coming into our RV getting delivered. Then houses were opening up, and I was preaching prophetic things, and we had this ministry going, and people were going, we want you to stay. And so we couldn't stay everywhere, so we would send for the deacons that were serving, and we ordained them as pastors in these house churches. We did that, 1994 to 1996. And for those two years, all those house churches, we would show up once a year at the Founders Inn in Virginia Beach, where Pat Robertson had the 700 Club. We would show up there, and they, they would open up the Founders Inn to us, and we would, all the churches would gather together, and we had an amazing time. And one time, Patricia and I were walking into the meeting, and people started clapping, and some pastors got very jealous, very envious, thought we were taking glory to ourselves, and all we did was show up. And so we started to feel the warfare, and our work was contested and brought low. And Patricia and I continued on through a season that most people will never dream, but God was faithful. And we stayed the course. Like I was saying, the ministry of Jesus after his death and burial, when he was dead, if he had not resurrected, if he had not revealed himself to the disciples who were already afraid hiding in a house, 
the whole Christian movement would have been wiped out 2,000 years ago. Never would it have taken root, but Jesus revealed himself through his resurrection. And I know that the Lord revealed himself to us in amazing ways and kept us going for our little ministry, but I don't want to talk about that. So I believe, let me get back to where I was. We went through this trial. It was glorious while we were going. And then we had the trial hit us. The very people that we had served and helped turned. And it hurt like crazy. And we walked through it. And we continued to serve as pastors. That's why we've been in this ministry for 28 years. Patricia, longer than I have. But together we've been serving for over 28 years in a full-time pastoral and working out our salvation and growing And I believe at this moment, and I've been saying it for several months, or at least six months now, it's time. It's time to begin this work again. What work? The saints of God that are gathered together in regions that are like-minded, that have this unity of the Spirit, they need to start gathering in homes, Bible studies. There needs to be a setting of mantles or giftings or offices, impartation, growing up a people, because that's the divine order of God. I believe it's time for home fellowships to begin all over this country. I talked about it a few months ago. God supplied an RV. We're ready to go, and we're waiting We're waiting. God put us in the 1990s to start home churches, and it worked. The work was contested. We grew, and we learned a lot in these last, what is it, 19, 20 years, 20-some-odd years? 26 years, actually. Wow. Time flies. And it's because I believe that God cares. And I believe when I was reading in Philippians, let me just read Philippians to you real quick, why this came into my spirit. In Philippians chapter 2, this is what I was reading, and this is why it quickened me. And I want to know, are we doing the right thing? Are we on the right track? And it's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus, this is Paul writing, to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, which is the church, the people. But you know the proof of him, Timothy, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel, Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. So Paul, writing to the church of, uh, to the Philippians, he wants to know how they're doing. Started a work there. And, And this, to me, is showing the care for the body of Christ. The care of the people. Not is the organizational structure working in the machine nice and greasy. No. I want to know the state of the people. 
I want to know how they're faring. I want to know, are they walking in their deliverance? Are they walking in holiness? Are they impacting their region? Are they shining as a light? Is their salt still salty? I want to know. And man, the condition of the church today just seems to be so outside of that. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you shall see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. What is this? See, we're talking nitty-gritty, church. We're talking right now, right? How are you? That's what I keep getting, that God wants to, he wants to know, how are you? You've just gone through a year of coronavirus debacle. You've gone through pretty severe snowstorms. You've been through spiritual warfare. How are you? Are you gathering together? Do you have a body of believers? Are you connected, interconnected? Are you caring for one another? Are you walking through the trials, going against the flow in the world in which you live? How is your mind? How is your spirit? Are you tranquil? Are you restless? Where are you? Are you hurting? Are you disappointed? Are you, are you afraid? Where are you? And if there's nobody really reaching out to know how, how the body is doing, Paul said, you know, these, this is what concerns Jesus Christ. Our fellowship here in Northwest Arkansas, I believe it shows a lot of care. I really do believe that there is care for one another at New Wine Ministries. I rejoice in that. And we want our work to, to expand. We want to reach out the 10 pegs, God said. Send this work further. Start home fellowships. Understand all the experience and the weight behind what you have been doing all these years and start a work and then raise up ministers that will really care about those people and maintain the oversight. We're not in competition with anybody. I mean, if other people are doing this, great. That's, I could care less of what other people are doing. What I care about it was what God has put in our heart to do in an order that shows his care and concern for his people. And I, and I don't know exactly how to get it done, but I know we're willing. We're willing. So this is what is concerning me today. You know, it's not an end time message. It's, you know, in the sense, it's very end time if you ask me, but it's not all, you know, aliens coming out of space and, you know, the, all that stuff that's coming. I believe the end times must be replete with a care and concern for the body of Christ. How are you? I can't get it out of my spirit. How are you? In our ministry, all a person has to do is get on the phone and ask for help, and they're going to get the help. Every once in a while, you know, in our, our minor little busyness, you know, we're wanting to know. We show up seven or we're six days a week in ministry in this congregation. Six days a week, we're on the air doing something, ministering to the body. That's great. Monday night prayer meetings, Tuesday night Bible studies, Wednesday night Bible study, Thursday night Bible study. 
Fridays we're on the air doing this, Saturday Bible study, Sunday church services, whatever. I mean, Monday's the only day we really try to rest. But it's always rest. I mean, God has supplied the energy, the gifting, the anointing. I really think we do care. All you got to do is, if you need help, is to ask. But what about the rest of the body? Oh, Pastor Vince, I was, I, we were ready to open our door, but you didn't believe in the law of Moses. You're right. I believe in the law of Moses, but I'm not under it. No way am I under the law of Moses. And I would never put other people under the law of Moses. Never. I will bring them to Jesus Christ and let his yoke, which is easy, be upon them. They said of the yoke of Moses, a yoke that we and our fathers could not bear. No way am I going to put that yoke on anybody. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The grace of God, which will do more in a person's life than the law of Moses ever will. Okay, so I just feel very strongly about that. How are you? That's my message today. It doesn't draw a lot of attention maybe, but how are you? It's called care for one another. It's called care for one another. Patricia and I are so cared for in this ministry at this time in our lives, we have never experienced this kind of care because it's coming right from these people's hearts. It's been the most beautiful thing we've ever experienced in our lives. It is the most beautiful thing we've ever experienced in our ministry in 28 years. There's always been a measure, but there's never been a measure like this. It's a mutual affection and a mutual caring in our service to the body to raise them up and prepare them for the last days and to meet Jesus Christ and their care for us to take care of our needs take care of us, and to show their love and affection. It is uncharted territory. But we need to spread it. We have been raising up men and women in our ministry. And as they are submitting and yielding to the presence of God, we want to send them to areas where people are saying, Come to us. Remember the Macedonian call? Come to us. We need help. We, God, has prepared in this work this very essence from the very beginning. When my pastor was the pastor of the church, it was never to become a church on a corner. It was always to raise up the fivefold ministry and send them and then communicate with them as we go. Patricia and I visiting those churches, being received and then imparting and then going to the next. That's what God called us to be. It's not something we made up. It's what he put in our hearts. And we just are saying we're available. You'd be surprised. God's love He'll reach through so much. He'll do, he'll do crazy things to send people into people's lives to help them. 
So that is, that is the great concern in my heart today. That is my heart. And, I, and, I, and you know what's so strange? It's hard to communicate. From my belly to my throat, I just feel like weeping. And I don't even understand why. I just, it's this care. It's this care that God has for people. Folks, doctrine, God's doctrine is excellent. We feed off of the doctrine. And that's a part of caring. But there's so much more, isn't there? And I'm not talking sloppy agape or greasy grace. I'm talking about what I see every day at New Wine Ministry Church amongst the people that are in this congregation. I see it or hear about it every single day. The communication that goes on, the warfare that these people have fought through. And I'm declaring by the Spirit of the Lord, because I do believe that God said he's opening heavens and sending miracles, not transient, but are going to remain with substance, that are going to bring great joy to his people's hearts. I believe that. I believe Father God is about to do some amazing things in the life of the church. And it's just, and I'm not saying we're the only people that care. I'm not saying that. I don't know what other churches do. I have to believe that the genuine purpose of the ministry of the churches is to care for the body of Christ. I have to believe that. Care for them. There's sowing and reaping. There's giving and sharing, no doubt. But it's always about caring. And right now, I'm sensing the Father's heart, the Lord's heart, his care and concern for you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing it. I'm carrying it. He cares. And you may be going through something today, and God just wanted me to tell you he cares. And if you're just tuning in, I wrote this down earlier today, and all, it's, all this is what God said. In spite of what you may feel or think, God cares about you. It is true. His spirit is near you now, even in you if you have received him, and his word is in your mouth. So rise, and he gave me this verse again, and it's in the Amplified Bible, Isaiah 60, verse 1, arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. So are the circumstances in your life keeping you prostrate, depressed? He says, rise to a new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord. This is God's heart for you. This is what he wants for his kids. This is what he wants for his church. He wa- he's going to show his care. He's going to show his love. He's going to show his concern. And it's really weird, I, quite frankly, to carry this kind of presence. Strange. But it's real. It's tangible. I want to know how my brother's doing in Mexico right now. I want to know how my brother's doing while he's out driving his truck right now on the roads. I want to know how our pastors are doing in New Wine Ministry. I want to know how our sisters are doing, how the brothers are doing. I want to know how they're, how they're faring. Everybody okay? I want to know how the people that tune into this ministry are. I want to know how our friends are in South Dakota. I want to know how our friends are in Tennessee. I would like to know how things are going in North Carolina, San Diego. 
I want to know how our friends are doing that just moved here from California. I want to know. God wants to know. And he wants you to know that he cares about you. And he wants you to do it right. And if we follow the example in John 13 about washing each other's feet, showing love to one another, I cannot tell you when leaders get together with a humble heart like that, a movement will hit this earth. A movement will hit this nation if the men and women of God will condescend and love one another, wash each other's feet, show care, treat each other like kings and priests, honor one another before self. I'm telling you, God will put some leaders together that will make a movement throughout this nation. There'll be home churches all over this country in, in a period of time that will boggle the mind. With godly leadership, never without challenges, but godly leadership and God's special grace upon these places for his pouring into his love, his care, his concern, his resource, his ability, pouring into people's lives, preparing them for eternity and for the moment of tribulation to have the ability to endure to the end of a tribulation period. I'm going to, uh, I I see some of our friends are showing up in the chat room. Praise the Lord. I want to say good morning to my brother, Mark, down there in Mexico. Really want to know how you're doing. I'm sure you're doing pretty well. You walk with the Lord. Maybe we need to start a home fellowship in Mexico, Mark. Give us the call. We'll head on down there. We'll have some tacos and tortillas and and check out your boat and say hello to Teresa. You want a ministry in Mexico? We're ready to go. I'll bring uh, one of our sisters is from Mexico. And if we need a translator, we'll do it. You probably know how to speak Spanish by now, Mark. God knows. Say good morning to Cindy, my dear sister, Cindy, Laquita. God bless you, Laquita. I see Payne, Arthur, Joseph. Amen. Uh, Payne is saying, I struggle with fear, death, temptations, and am trying my best to obey God. It's a lifelong journey. Well, you know what? That kind of temptation, that kind of suffering needs to come to an end. And I believe God cares enough for you that he wants to put that to an end. So it's not you carrying that environment for the rest of your life, but a much greater environment, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God. Payne, reach out. Let's get us, we'll get you a book and we'll start ministering to that struggle you're having if you're open to it. Uh, Carol Carey, good morning. It's going to be a great day with Jesus. I believe that, Carol. Uh, Joyce, good morning from Joyce and Sarah. Good morning from San Diego. God bless Joyce. She's our uh, Organo Gold special sister. She and her husband, Ken, they do great with that. But more importantly, their lives, their hearts are tender towards the Lord, and we love them. Sarah, good morning again. Kathy Bruns, this is a wonderful teaching, the humanity of Jesus and who the Father is really like. God is love. Kathy, God bless you. Looks like we're going to be seeing you. We've been invited to come back to South Dakota in May, so God bless you. We're looking forward to seeing all of our friends up there again. I see Melissa Fletcher. Good morning. Good morning, Melissa. Carol Carol Carey says, I used to attend a church that had foot washing before sharing in communion. Very humbling. Isn't that beautiful? You got to love it. But again, this has to begin in leadership. All right. Keith Carey, thank you for being live, Pastor. I listened to some of Saturday praise and worship at your church and time for high praise. Blessed by your prayer about the fathomless mind of our creator. Isn't it fathomless? There's no end to his love and care and concern for you and for all who are listening right now. 
Wendy Timmons, this is such encouraging and eye-opening teaching. Thank you. You're welcome, Wendy. God bless you. Welcome to the Watchmen and New Wine Ministry um, place. Cindy says, preach it. David says, good morning. Hello, David Ellison. Cindy gives us an amen. Good, good message. Praise the Lord. You too care for us. Praise God so much. You and Pastor Patricia are good examples for us. Thank you for that. God bless you. Uh, joy and care and love. Praise the Lord. Keith Carey says, Philippians 2.19, David Ellison and beyond for the call of home churches. Walking in deliverance and holiness, impacting their region, a home church of kindred spirits, verse 20 and chapter 3, 7 and 8. Hey, Keith, I like it. You're right on, brother. There's a lot of room for this, isn't there? Chandra. God bless you, Chandra. I've been wondering where you've been. She says, Pastor Vincent, I just remembered the word Marguerite gave on your birthday, that God was working out the thing that concerns you. Loving the show this morning. God bless you. Marguerite. Awesome. If she speaks, it's coming to pass. Cindy, thank you. We're doing fabulous. Praise God. Shalom from Jesse. And to the rest of you out there, Jesse, good morning. God bless your heart. If we work together, we could do something in this country, in the church, within the nation, the true nation, the holy nation, in the days of, who was it? Nehemiah, the people stood shoulder to shoulder, built a wall, sword in one hand, work tool in another. It's time to work. The, the ministers, the leadership, those of us that are tuned in right now, we need to come together and do this work if we are in agreement, because I believe it's the Lord's work. And, I, and if we're in agreement, we have work to do. We have to accelerate a bit, don't you think? May God show us what to do. I get nervous when I think about doing a work in the name of the Lord. Oh, the responsibility behind that is amazing. But if it's coupled with God's concern, it's amazing as well. All right. Got some calls coming in this morning. Let's go ahead and open up the telephone line. Multifaceted today. Let's say good morning to 479212. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Vincent. Yes. Hi. So I know that feeling you're talking about when you have that that stomach feeling and it goes up into your throat. And I feel that when I'm praying over somebody and I'm praying for healing or I I know exactly what you're talking about. I just wanted to let you know it's confirmed. (laughs) Is this Lori? I don't know what it is. Is this Lori? Yeah. Hi, Lori. All right. Well, that's his concern. That's his love. That's his care. And as you're doing that, as you're reaching out, being the, the hands and the feet of Jesus, and, and you're allowing him to make you a vessel prepared unto honor, a vessel meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work, as you're ministering, you, and I, I know this is true, you have zero attention on yourself. It's just the love of the Father, caring for the needs of his people, And that's exactly how it works. And that's why you and Ray, one day, are going to be having your own home fellowship. We know that's coming. (laughs) Hallelujah. 
it's definitely good? on our hearts. Yes, it's definitely on our hearts to do the home fellowship. Amen. Well, it's going to happen, and God's going to do it perfectly. So we'll keep praying. Amen. Yes, amen. I'll keep I'll keep praying for you too because I know you have that great concern for your church. Thank you so much. God bless you, Lori. Yeah. Anything mm-hmm. else you want to say to the body of Christ? No, I love you all. <laughs> all right. God bless you, sister. Shalom. All right. Bye bye. All right. Very good. All right. That is a great call. Hey, the line is open. Eight one eight three six nine three two. I guess it's a little late right now. We've got to say goodbye. If you have any questions about what you heard today, any thoughts, any comments, give me a call. My phone number is 858-864-8712. not afraid to give it out. You want to call, text, send an email, do it all. My phone will get it. 858-864-8712. I tell you the call I'm always waiting for. For that, talking to some people in their region and they're saying, hey, we want a Bible study. We want, to, we, want to, we want to test the waters here. Patricia and I are at your service. We're ready to go. 858-864-8712. The Lord bless you and keep you today. Make his face smile upon you and shine on you. Give you glory and grace and all the good, wonderful stuff that he gives. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Pastor Vince. Shalom. God bless. Remember, if you'd like to support this ministry, you could do it by going to nwmglobal.org. NWM stands for New Wine Ministry. So it's nwmglobal.org. You can go to the donations tab and give a donation. And right now, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, omegaradio.org. It's on right now, omegaradio.org. There's a roundtable discussion from some of the most brilliant minds on this planet. They who have the mind of Christ. Patricia Joy Xavier is leading a roundtable discussion. You don't want to miss it. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, omegaradio.org. I'm Pastor Vince. We'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Shalom and God bless. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.